Do you know which apartment tribe you're a member of? I think I'm part of the tribe economically engaged. Okay, you're not established owner or downsizer? <laughs> well, I guess I could be established owner, but they're kind of over 65. Older. You're not over, I'm 65, not over 65 yet, no. no. A no. long way off, Jimmy. I am. So I'm part of both of those things, both mm. of those tribes. There's a big article in the Sydney Morning Herald recently, and we're going to be talking about that today. I'm Jimmy Thompson. And I'm Sue Williams. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. There was a big article in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, last week by Matt O'Sullivan in which he talked to Bill Randolph of the University of New South Wales Department of the Built Environment, who talked about a survey they've done into the different tribes in Sydney. Or, yeah, I think it's Sydney apartments. Hmm. And that could probably be quite just as relevant to Melbourne and Brisbane as well, couldn't it, really? Yeah, the except, same kind of groups. Except that New South Wales, as the article points out, has twice the percentage of people living in apartments mm. than they have in Victoria. Mm. So we are pretty much leading the way in terms of people moving into apartments. So what did you think? And the, these tribes, do you recognise them? Yeah, it was really interesting. The, they said the largest tribe was the economically engaged, the one I identify with most. <laughs> yeah. And they make up about half the city's apartment households. And uh, they tend to live east of uh, Sydney Olympic Park, mm. in South Sydney, in eastern suburbs, in yeah. North Shore, everywhere like that. So I think I seem to be in that group. And the second biggest group was, was kind of much, much smaller. That was just 10%. And that was kind of at the other end of the scale, the young, the jobless or the underemployed. Yeah, who tend to live in conditions that could be called overcrowded, mm. like sharing rooms and things like that. Which is sad because that that's a ten percent. That's quite a big chunk of people. Yes, yeah. I don't know if it's sad. I, you know, look, I have this thing that they're they're and you look at the demographic, the the nationality of a lot of these people, and the northeast and southeast Asian backgrounds. Now, if you have spent, as I have spent quite a bit of time, as, as have you, in that part of the world, what we consider overcrowded here. Mm would not be considered overcrowded there. Yeah. And in the past, what wasn't considered overcrowded would be the same now. Yeah. My grandfather in Britain lived in one of the first big apartment blocks. You yeah. Know, they were housing commission. Yeah. And uh, there was him and his wife and then at various times some of his kids and yeah. their families. Yeah. And we never really considered that overcrowded no. either really. So it's kind of a, a different definition these days yeah it's a different perspective we tend to think in terms of you know the the nuclear family mum and dad and 2.4 kids mm -hmm. and the kids as soon as they can they have a bedroom to themselves and those kids then grow up and they move into maybe their own place and maybe into a share house but again they're they have their own room at the very least whereas for people from southeast asia um, I just I remember I was talking to an air hostess on Vietnam Airlines once and I was just chatting away to her and, you know, she was saying that she'd moved from Hanoi to Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City. And I asked her why, because, you know, they're both really vibrant cities. And she said, 
overcrowding in the apartment that she was living in in Hanoi. And I said, well, what's your definition of overcrowding? And she said, 14 people in two rooms. Oh, wow. And so she'd moved to Saigon and she was living in a flat where she was only sharing a room with one other person, (laughs) you know, who was not her partner. It was just Mm. they were sharing. And you think, yeah, that's for her. That is a huge leap forward. She was employed, you know, she was making money. And probably the fact that she was traveling a lot helped, but it's a different perspective. And, you know, there, people are going to say, I'm sure, that this is kind of being patronizing to other races and might even be racist. It's not. It's reality. And I'm sure and under different circumstances, all these people, these underemployed young people, would rather have their own rooms. But the economic imperative is if you're going to live near your work, you've got to take what's available that you can afford. Yeah. Well, when I was in Ethiopia, there was um, a surgeon who was offered her own place to live, and she said no, she wanted to live in a a little room, really. At one end, there was kind of a cooker. There wasn't very much in this room with two of her best friends. So the three of them just live in this one room together. Right. And they've been offered alternative accommodation, but they've said, no, we, you know, we've we've grown up living together and we prefer that. Yeah. And do you remember we talked about a survey um, a few weeks ago that discovered that people who were living in houses with their own rooms and their own, often their own bathrooms as well were so socially disconnected. Yeah. It really didn't help the kids growing up when they when they grew up when they're spending a lot of time with their parents like they yeah. you know they had to share rooms and things. They they were much better at socialization. Yeah, I mean and and there was a I think it might have been the same article or one that came out around about the same time that said get the TV out of the kids room. Yeah, force them back into the lounge. Force them. If they want to watch TV, they've got to come in, they've got to compromise, they've got to share. And what we're doing now is we're socialising our children to be totally selfish and not have to consider other people. Mm. And, um, you know, you can see the effects. You see the effects all over the world of people who are selfish and self-centred and who are not used to sharing. I think there's a, a limit certainly for what we're used to in this country of how many people you can cram into one small space. But, you know, our friend Lily, who's Vietnamese, I mean, I was talking to her about how we have these problems in in apartments, certainly in the inner city, where you do get 14 people in a two-bedroom place and they're they're exploited by the sub-tenants, you know, people who've rented the apartment and then just put in bunk beds and the landlords either don't know or don't care because they always pay the rent on time and they're exploiting all these these young people and i said why don't the young people get together and just say okay for the same money four of us could rent a two-bedroom apartment and we'd only be sharing with one other person Mm. and she said you try being an Asian person who goes to a landlord and says there are four of us and we want to share this apartment. She said they're just there's so much competition for rental properties you don't even get through the door. Really? Yeah. That level of racism still exists. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's it's a kind of casual, almost passive racism. Like people are going, oh right, I've got this young couple you know, who who want to rent the apartment. And I've got these four Asian students or, or night workers or restaurant workers or whatever. Who do I feel more comfortable about 
renting the apartment to? Who's going to pay the rent on time? Now, that might be they might be deluding themselves, but you can see why it's so easy for that kind of casual, passive racism mm. to enter into people's thinking. Sure. But with more Asian um, buyers of property and more Asian landlords, you'd think maybe they would go the other way. I don't know. I wouldn't mm. make any assumptions about no, that. exactly. Yeah. You know, it's... Uh, it, it it really is. I mean, and what we have, you know, that thing of the the biggest tribe being the in economically engaged, it proves one of the facts of modern life, which is money gives you choice. Mm, yeah. It's all very well to say, as I did, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? The realities are you can do these things if you have the money. If you don't have the money, then you have to deal with what's available. Sure. And that takes us on to the third largest tribe, really. They're the um, battlers mm. and migrant families, and they're 8% of the households in Sydney apartments. Yep. Um, and they're on low to moderate income, so they probably don't have very much choice at all. Yep. And then the fourth group, the older public housing tenants. Who um, tend to be forgotten when we're talking about apartments. Yeah, absolutely. And most of those are single occupants, and they're aged over 65 yep. and on low incomes. Yeah, so um, it's, it shows how diversified the society is, doesn't it, really, of apartment dwellers? Yeah, but yeah. it shows you one of the potential benefits of mixed-use housing, where you can have privately owned apartments and um, social housing mixed together. Because the mm. first, you know, when I, as soon as I read that phrase, you know, the over 65 single people on low or no income, I'm just the word that pops into my mind is loneliness. Mm. They're isolated. Yeah. I, again, you know, if you don't have the money to go out and buy a cup of coffee and things like that, or, or go or join a club or whatever, then you're going to be lonely. Yeah. So living with younger people is a great idea. Do you remember that experiment in Holland where they bunked in an older person with students yeah and the older people offered them cheaper rents yeah so that if they could be helpful to them do their shopping and yeah, things like yeah, that yeah. and it proved a massive success yeah. and the the young people loved living with the older people because they learned so much from them and they yeah. really enjoyed their company yeah. and the older people thought it was fantastic it kind of kept them young and it helped them out and they didn't have to worry any more about if they had an accident that there was yeah. always someone around so I think it's great. And, I mean, if we can replicate that in some way with our apartment buildings, that's a great thing. I you know, used to live in Glasgow, and uh, there they had the Red Road Flats, which at one point were the highest apartment buildings in Europe. And there was four of them, and four blocks, huge blocks, and they were a problem from the day they were built. And somebody came up with this idea of let's make the, the bottom three floors old people's sheltered housing the next 20 floors for student accommodation and then the top three floors can be kind of penthouse luxury penthouse with their own lifts which i thought was a great idea even back then and it was stopped because the Glasgow's very left-wing council and people were going what's this luxury penthouse apartment nonsense <laughs> we, we won't be having any of that mm. and the last i heard of them they were planning that uh, at the culmination of the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow a few years ago, somebody was going to press a plunger and the buildings were going to be demolished like dominoes. Wow. And then they thought that was kind of a bit tasteless. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but a friend of ours, Bill, uh, moved into um, 
a big, tall apartment building in Brixton in mm. southeast London. And it, at that point, it was kind of housing commission. And then they offered to sell the tenants the apartment. So Bill bought his apartment. And because there were new owners, I mean, there were still some housing commission tenants there yeah. who weren't who weren't able or didn't want to buy their own apartments. Yeah. But then it became a true mix of tenants, really, yeah. owners and tenants. And the what what was a British equivalent then of a strata committee decided to upgrade the lifts because yeah. there were always problems with the lifts and upgrade security. Yeah. Because there were, all, there were always problems with vandalism, people coming into the building and you yeah. know, peeing in the lifts and all that yeah. kind of thing. And suddenly when they increased the security and people started having pride in the apartments, it, I mean, now... <laughs> His apartment is probably worth about a hundred times what he paid for it all those yeah. years ago. I just want to mention another article that came out just in the past week or so. It was Elizabeth Farrelly in again in the Sydney Morning Herald. And Elizabeth's a fantastic writer and thinker about uh, architecture and buildings and what they do. But she seems to have taken an apartment in a really crappy building. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a deliberate choice. It sounds like it might be because she's got a new book coming out and maybe she's using that experience in the book. Right, which is fair enough. I mean, better that than people you know, driving past and saying, oh, look, that building looks awful. You know, go and actually experience it. But it was interesting. In the piece that was in the, the paper, she talked about how she got stuck on the ground floor once because the lift stopped working. And I know this is it's kind of taking things out of context and... and um, you know, and you need to focus on ideas in books and newspaper articles. But the two things occurred to me, we live on the 15th floor, and I can think of three occasions in the time that we've been here, and that's 20 years, that the lifts were out. Uh, I think once because of a lightning strike, and mm. and you basically had to go, right, I'm going to climb the 15 floors, or I'm going to go and sit in a cafe and wait till it's fixed. So it's not unusual. It's not unique that's happened to her. It's better if it doesn't happen. But then I, th I thought about this apartment block. I think it's in Qingchong in China. I'm mm. probably saying that wrong. Um, 25 stories and no lifts. No lifts at all? None whatsoever. It wasn't built with lifts? It was built work. with no lifts. <gasps> but wow. you read that headline and then you realize that it's built on the side of a hill, and so there are three entry points. There are three roads <laughs> at about oh. ten floors apart. How now, interesting. So you would still, wherever you came in, you'd have to go up at least five floors or down at least five floors. So people can go up five floors, down five floors, that's fine. You know, most mm. young, fit people could handle that. It would be good for them. So it's not like the person in the penthouse has to climb 25 <laughs> stories to get to their apartment. But it also, for me, it's you think, well, that would never be allowed in a modern city like Sydney, even if it was on the side of a hill. People just wouldn't tolerate it. And I think we've got to the point with apartments where we have let perfect be the enemy of good mm. because I'm sure there are a lot of people and they talked to people in this article who lived in that building and they said yeah you know it was a struggle at first but I'm getting used to it and it's so much better than where I used to live yeah that's what we forget where did you come from mm. that you live in in this place 
that said, that tribe, the battlers and migrant families, and and the big percentage of the economically engaged. I mean, we've been driving recently through some of the areas like um, Walleye Creek, Walleye Creek, and out that way, out towards IKEA, and Mascot is another area, and seen the clustering of apartment blocks. That in our privileged area here in the eastern suburbs, we don't see that so much. And I wonder what it's like living there so close to other people. You know, people are looking in, can look into your windows and stuff, which shouldn't be happening. You know, the town planning just shouldn't allow that to happen, but they do because developers still run the city. But then you've got areas like Green Square, and I think when we started looking at those areas and you saw the massive uh, work taking place there, you kind of thought it might become a bit of an urban slum because the apartment buildings were so close together. and yeah. But now it's actually really emerged as a bit of a beacon, I think, in, in housing planning. In fact... A lot of people love living there, yeah. and um, they've developed an awful lot of facilities around the buildings mm. which allow people to engage yeah. with the landscape and meet other people and cafes and parks, the swimming pool, the library, and um, a really amazing... Other building, I think, that you're going to mention next. Yes, the Infinity Building, which is the one, notoriously, the the building with a hole in it. Um, You know, it's got this wonderful sort of archway. Which I think you nicknamed the Donut very early on. I think, yes. And uh, it was quite funny because we were at a function there over Christmas. And uh, it's quite a stunning building. But uh, standing on the deck, this function deck, looking out over this expanse of former industrial land or a low-rise, you know, like storage places or sheds or whatever, with Ewan Sinito, who is the head of Crown. And he's saying, isn't that a beautiful view? And I think he meant the distant view to the Blue Mountains, but I'm thinking, yeah, you're a developer. <laughs> you're looking at all that <laughs> empty space. <laughs> you're looking at potential. Yeah. Mm. So it's interesting. People are talking and thinking about apartments in different ways. But I don't think we should assume that everybody in apartments is living in overcrowded conditions. And neither should we assume that everybody who lives in apartments spends their evening standing on their balcony sipping Chardonnay. No, it's a huge cross-section of the population living in apartments, I think. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to talk about how people power chased people out of apartments in Melbourne. But I think, to be fair, it's rich people power. That's after this. What's going on in Melbourne, Sue? Yeah, well, with the Australian Open... um, The The tennis thing. The tennis, yep. The organisers originally planned to billet a lot of the players in a hotel in the city centre, the Western Hotel in Melbourne. Mm. And um, but unfortunately, they hadn't realised that at the top floor of the, the Western, they are privately owned luxury apartments, right. penthouses. And the people there really objected to becoming a quarantine centre, mm. in effect. You would think, yes. So they campaigned and went to the organisers and said, you know, we don't want... Um, people infected, potentially infected with COVID in our building. Yeah. And eventually they won. They succeeded. And um, the Australian Open agreed to, to go to other places. Right. I guess other hotels, but without apartments on yes. top. Yes. This, this is one of the things about Melbourne, and it's going to get me onto one of my hobby horses. In Melbourne, 
people in posh apartments can keep Airbnb and other holiday rentals out of their buildings um, simply because they all sign an undertaking that they're going to not do that. But only rich people can do that. Somebody was presenting this this thing, uh, the Westin, as people power. It was not people power. It was rich, influential <laughs> people power. Sure. It made me think about when COVID started, all those ads on Airbnb come and isolate in our apartment block. Mm. And nothing was done about that. You know, it was just like, oh, oh dear, what a shame. So, you know, it's at that point, before the proper lockdown, there were people with potentially, you know, who were coming from overseas, potentially carrying the, the infection with them, who were being taken into apartment blocks on Airbnb and other platforms. And with the people in the apartment blocks having no idea that the people that were they were meeting in the lift or they were seeing in the gym or seeing in the swimming pool were potentially carrying the mm. virus. Which brings me back to our previous thing. These tribes, being obsessed with numbers, I added up the percentages <laughs> of those tribes. And I have to say, before we go any further, that article by Matt O'Sullivan is really worth reading, as is Elizabeth Farrelly's piece. If you can dig them out of the Sydney Morning Herald, really good. So I added up the numbers, and they come to about 80%. Yes, they do. So... <laughs> Where's the other twenty percent? Who's living in the other twenty percent of apartments? Yeah. And because there there was one there was one more group that we didn't mention. Yeah. The fourth group that's established owners and downsizers, mostly those over sixty five. But they are only three percent of. Households. Yeah, tiny amount. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we get a lot of focus on the downsiders because of the kind of romantic notion of people living in a big house. The families have moved out, and they think, okay, we're going to cash up and we're going to move into the city centre, and we're going to have a fabulous lifestyle. And you expect the centre of Sydney to be awash with older people walking around if we weren't all in lockdown of some sort or another, that, that would be happening to some extent, but not to the extent it's presented in the media. Yeah. But, yeah, what's this other 20%? Where are the other 20%? Well, I went on to Inside Airbnb and looked at their figures, and roughly, there are 25,000, roughly 25,000 empty apartments on Airbnb listed right now. In the past 10 years, there have been 250,000 apartments built in Sydney. There's 10% of those new apartments. Well that's, well, that's pretty interesting, yeah. Yeah, and the other 10%, you, it just washed up in, you know, errors or whatever. But it really makes you realise what a significant figure that is in terms of the overall availability of apartments in Sydney. Now, there was another set of figures came out a few days ago about how holiday rentals had been affected over the holiday period. And they rocketed in places like South Brisbane, the Gold Coast, it basically anywhere up the eastern seaboard got a huge boost in people visiting. The one area that was down was Sydney. <laughs> that was mm. dropped off dramatically from last year, partly, I think, because people wanted to get out of the city. The fireworks thing was not going to be the big event that it has been for the past few years. And so suddenly all these empty apartments stayed empty. So it's going to be interesting how, how that, because a lot of people who've been listing their apartments have taken them off and put them back into residential rent, which has meant that rents have fallen. 
So things are shifting all the time. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Let's hope so. Now, regular listeners may have noticed that this is the second week in a row where we haven't had a guest speaker. And that's partly because of Christmas and New Year, but partly a conscious decision. We realized we were becoming slave to the guest. <laughs> you know, every week we're desperately trying to find somebody to come on and speak. And we've been very fortunate up until this stage that I'd say almost all of the people we've had speaking on this podcast have been really good value. Yeah. But it also means we've burned through almost all of the available talent. <laughs> <laughs> so... We are only going to have guest speakers when we have somebody we really want to talk to about a specific issue. Unless the podcast listeners of the Flat Chat Rap rise up and with one voice say, we want more guests, we want more of other people and less of you. If you want to do that, mail at flat-chat.com.au is how to get in touch with it. I'll say that again, mail, M-A-I-L, at flat-chat.com.au. Write and tell us whether you want to have more guests or fewer guests, and we will... Or suggest some guests. Suggest some guests. And if you feel so inspired, record a question, and mm. we and you can hear your voice on the podcast, which would be kind of cool. Okay. <laughs> when we come back, it's our Hey Martha's for this week. That's after this. So what struck you this week, Jimmy? I've become slightly obsessed with a usage that I've been hearing a lot on the radio. And that is when somebody gets asked a question and the answer always starts with, that's exactly right. And I noticed that the first time, I think it was the ABC's Washington correspondent, and the question was something like, it sounds like President Trump's in a bit of trouble with Twitter. And the response was, exactly right. And then every other response started with exactly right, exactly right. So I think exactly right has become the new absolutely. Ah, mm. are you absolutely? Absolutely. That's exactly right. Um, so keep your ear open for this, folks. It's going to be by this time, or I'd say within about three months, every second response to a question in the media, and I'm talking about electronic media, is going to start with the words exactly right. It's one of these things that gives the speaker a chance to think, engage with the person that they're talking to and, and think. So it really irritates you, Jimmy, and now it's going to irritate all of us. Yes. It's kind of like the verbal equivalent of an earworm. <laughs> Actually, my earworm for the past week or two has been the handle tune, The Arrival of the Queen of Sheba. Oh, yeah. But my version in my brain is played by an Irish folk band called Didanen, who call it the arrival of Queen of Sheba, brackets, in Galway Bay, close brackets. <laughs> so what's your, hey, Martha? Well, I think the reason that's become an earworm for you is that you've been organising the music for the launch of my new book. Oh, have my, you got a new book out, yeah, sir? Yeah, my first ever novel. And uh, it's an historical fiction, and it's about Elizabeth Macquarie, the, the wife of the fifth governor of New South Wales, Lachlan Macquarie, and Elizabeth MacArthur, um, oh, right. one of the pioneers of the wall empire that we became. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, it just came out today. Okay. And it's in shops now. And, uh, like, I worked on this book for, I think, five years. 
Yep. And so it's the culmination of a long period of work and introspection and nervousness. And, and now I'm kind of quite terrified. I've had some great reviews so far, which is yeah, really nice. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them. But um, you can never get too blasé. Mm. There'll <laughs> always be somebody out there. Well, may, well let's hope not. But <laughs> and I, I should so, point out to our listeners that this is Sue's so is it 26th book, something like something that? Something like that, yeah. Uh, uh, but previously, all of them have been non-fiction. Well, I did a children's book that was fiction, and I contributed a short story to a collection of fiction, but okay. this is my first kind of adult novel, really. Right. And it's quite When you say terrifying. adult novel, you mean grown up. Yeah, not porn. Not, not, not no. porn. <laughs> if anybody is interested in this book or any of uh, Sue's other books... Her website is www.suewilliams.com.au and you can see everything there. Mm. It's All her books are listed and there's, you can even buy some. Yeah, but you, you might not want to. But um, See, this is... This, <laughs> <laughs> it seems awful, kind of. This is, this is why you're only a hugely successful writer rather than a fantastically successful... <laughs> The self-deprecating thing, at some point you've got to stop. Okay, I think I should stop now. Thanks again, Sue. It's been great talking to you and to nobody else uh, <laughs> once more. Do write to us if you've got any suggestions of people you'd like to hear. Do write to us if you'd like to hear more guests or fewer guests or whatever. So uh, l let us know what you think. Fantastic. All right, thanks for listening. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Rap Podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flat-chat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Rap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.